Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. If you would turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Someone asked me, we, were, we had a prayer burn yesterday. And uh, it was awesome. It was uh, it just, man, I got so ministered to. We were up in the upper sanctuary. They did a 12-hour prayer burn. And uh, I was up there. We were just praying, and God was just ministering to me. And so at the end, I usually take the last half hour and, and lead in prayer. And I shared some things, and someone said, Are you going to preach on that this morning? And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to preach on. We're just going to jump in, and we'll find out where we come out the other side. Uh, there is a lot of, there's a lot of different things going through my heart, but I believe we're in a new season. I, and I don't say that just arbitrarily. There's, uh, God's doing some things that uh, it's going to be good. And so we want to look at, we've been looking at, let me, let me tie this in with where we've been. We've been looking at the church. What is the church? We've been looking at the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, and the basilia, which is the Greek word for kingdom, and how the kingdom and the church fit together. They are not synonymous. They are not the same. The kingdom encompasses all of God's rule. The church is God's human expression on the earth. It's the way he reaches in. It's his outpost. It's his, his embassy on the earth through which he extends his kingdom. It's, the, it's where he houses his army and uh, sends his diplomats out as the church. And uh, so we've been looking at the church. And we've, we've looked at how the church is never just one person. There's no such thing as me saying, I am the church. I am the church with you, but I cannot be the church alone. There are a lot of metaphors, a lot of phrases in Scripture that apply to the single believer. They're all wonderful. They're all true. They just, the one that doesn't apply to the single believer is the word church. Because the church, the irreducible minimum of the church is two. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And so the church is when there are two believers that gather in his name for his purposes. And God commits something of himself to the two he'll never give to the one. There is a measure of his presence, there is a measure of his power, his authority, and his revelation that he will not extend to the individual. God will withhold something from you that he will give, he'll, hold, he'll withhold something from the me that he'll give to the we. There, he'll withhold something from you that you will only find in the body of Christ. That's why when people say, well, I am the church, where do you go? Well, I am the church and I just don't attend church, I, I do church at home. Well, that's fine, as long as you're doing it with some other people. That's called a house church. I don't have a problem with the house church. That's scriptural. They met in houses. The only thing, just let me get on a little rabbit trail. If you're going to be part of a house church, that's fine. Just avail yourself to the gifts in the wider body of Christ. Have some outside speakers in. Because you're going to limit what God can give to you if you're just gathering with ten other people. There's, so that's why we have other, believe, other speakers, international and national speakers come in, regional speakers and people within the house. You don't just hear from Pastor Dave, because you're going to get a limited perspective just hearing from me. And so we need to have that wider expression. But you cannot have church alone. That, that, that's a misnomer. That, you're contradicting the very meaning of the word. The ecclesia is the gathering. It's the assembly of the saints. It's when we convene the body of Christ. It was an authoritative body. Jesus borrowed that term from Roman Grecian culture. It was a legislative body that was gathered to uh, strategize and carry out the wishes of the emperor. Greek... Uh, the Greek and uh, Athens, their supreme court was an ecclesia. Rome picked up on that and literally planted ecclesias in the nations that they would conquer. And they would be small expressions of Rome from which they would expand Rome's influence. It's the same idea. So when Jesus uh, adopted this term, he didn't invent the word. He took a word already fused with meaning and he grabbed it and he used it to communicate that he had come to bring his kingdom with us, with him. He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the primary way in which his kingdom arrives on earth is through the ecclesia, the authoritative body of Christ. 
And that be us. That's not good English, but it's good preaching. That is us. That's who we are. Now, so the fact is, in Ephesians chapter 1, the last couple of verses, it says, it talks about the church, the body of Christ, the fullness of Him. The church is where we find the fullness of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about we each have a measure of the gift of Christ. But it's when we all come together and mature. He says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, so that they will all do their part and the body will grow itself up until we become mature in the unity of the faith. And then it says we break into the fullness, the full measure of the gift of Christ. So what's the point? Every one of us have a measure or a portion But we only have the fullness together. So we each bring our piece and we lock it into the hole. And that's where we have the full expression. It's like a puzzle. Everybody brought their piece this morning. But I only have a portion. I don't claim to know it all. I don't claim to understand it all. I have my role. You have your role. We each bring our piece together and we click them together. We have the fullness of Christ. And that is a reality that we must understand Because it's more than just the picture. It's the power, it's the authority of the convened ecclesia of God. That we literally convene the ecclesia. And God, Jesus said, there I will commit myself. He says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He commits his authority to the church. And so when we convene together, we need to understand that there's something that happens in this room when we come together. And the fact is, it doesn't have to happen in this room. There's something that happens when you bump into each other in the aisle at Walmart. And you said, hey, I heard about so-and-so, let's pray. And you lock and load together that the authority of heaven enters into that situation. That you can release some whoop-em on those situations because you are invested with the authority when you come together. So that is the church. So we're connected. We need each other. I need you, you need me. And only together do we have the fullness. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 at the beginning there, he said, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, guard this thing because there's more on the line than just our tastes and our, our desires and our, our, you know, our, our little, even our feelings. There's more on the line here. What's on the line is the fullness of Christ for this region. That there is such a thing as corporate mandates. There are things that we're called to. There's works prepared in advance for each one of us as individuals. But those works that we're called to walk in as individuals are connected to bigger purposes that we're connected to walk in together. There are corporate mandates that will not be realized if we allow the unity of the Spirit to be disrupted. So Paul says, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The word there, bond, is literally the word ligaments. It's the ligaments of peace. Ligaments are those little fibrous, rubbery connectors between the bone. You got cartilage between your bone that work as a cushion, but it's the ligaments that pull the two bones into the cushion. That's what keeps us together. You don't have any ligaments, you'd just be a pile of bones and flesh. You know, it'd look kind of weird. The way you stand up is you've got to have ligaments, and it's what holds us together. And Paul says there is this ligament called peace. That I'm going to keep the peace between us. And if we lose the peace, we're going to go back, circle back around and recreate the peace. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the the kingdom of God. Peacemakers. It's not just peacekeepers. Peacekeepers will often avoid conflict and it becomes a bigger conflict. You ever notice the conflict you avoid grows? But it's the conflict that you confront, we can diminish and work through things. And conflict is literally often the ground upon which intimacy is built. We go deeper in relationship if we'll work through our issues. And so we need, and and Paul tells us to do this with the end zone in, in perspective here. It's the fullness of Christ. All that God has for us as a house, as a church, as the people, as the local ecclesia. 
And, and that's not to diminish all the other local ecclesias. That's not to diminish, uh, you know, Prairie Ridge and Lutheran Church of Hope and First Family and, and all the other churches in town. We all have our purposes. But we need to guard the unit of the Spirit so that we can reach our purposes. So that's what we've been talking about. That we need each other. We're connected with each other. And just last night during, during prayer yesterday and then last night and even this morning, I, I, just, I, uh, I have my, my Sunday morning routine. It's usually my morning routine. I set my alarm at 5 o'clock and I peel a little 5-hour energy drink right by the nightstand. And when it goes off, I slam it down and I pull the blankets over my head and then I pray. And uh, it's my favorite place to pray. Hallelujah, I'm already cozy and toasty, and I'm all wigged out on five-hour energy drinks, so I'm not going back to sleep, you know, and uh, poor Kathy, you know, I try to keep it quiet, but uh, as I began to pray this morning, uh, and the Lord began to speak some things to me last night, I had, I had planned on going in a different direction up till last night, and the Lord began to deal with me about some things last night and this morning, and so... We're just going to pray and jump in and hope we come out with some on the other side with something to take away. Amen. Father, Lord, we just ask that you would anoint our ears to hear. Lord, I do ask that your teaching would fall like rain. God, that you would infuse the very atmosphere with truth and revelation. Lord, that you would awaken our hearts, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you would encourage us. And Lord, as Les released your word this morning... Lord, that we would allow you to adjust our thinking in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the thought that was going through my heart. I prayed for a family this morning around the altars. And I felt it very strongly over them as well. And when I was praying over this family, I saw these big gears moving. Uh, just, and and my, my sense was that there were bigger purposes God was after. And, and it, it fit with what the Lord has been speaking to me. I believe that's a word for many of us. That what we need to realize is often the, the, the little immediate personal struggle that we're in. And sometimes it's not a little immediate personal struggle. Sometimes it's a big old whopping uh, immediate personal struggle that we're in. Often we're so locked into what we're going on. But what we don't realize is that believers connected one to another and called of God to works prepared in advance. That the battle with which we are fighting, or that we're wrestling with is really being wrestled out on a much wider plane than we realize. There's a wider arena, a much grander scale to the battle that we're in. And that what we're wrestling with personally is really part of what God is doing generationally, what God is doing regionally, what God is doing cosmically and eternally. That what we're, we're, the battle we're in is connected to bigger things than we realize. And often what God will allow you to be brought into a battle and you think you're wrestling with this when in actuality you're clearing the way for something much bigger. And sometimes you don't even realize after the battle. You won the battle, you got it settled, and you won't realize till you get to heaven what was cleared in your battle. But we need to understand, and I feel like what the Lord wants to stress to us this morning is that your faithfulness in your immediate struggle is clearing the way for much greater things. And as I began to lean into this and God began to just minister this to me, I naturally thought of several Bible characters, but the one that came to mind with great force was Samuel. Samuel chapter 1. It's one of my favorite chapters. My favorite chapter, by the way, starts in Genesis 1 and goes through Revelation 21. But it, uh, it really is. It's one of my favorite stories. And in this passage, there's a guy named Elkanah. And Elkanah has two wives. Peninnah and Hannah. And it says very eloquently, it's one of the most really poetic passages. You can begin to pull out these lines out of this. It's 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. It says... Uh, Hannah or Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. And Peninnah would provoke Hannah until she wept and would not eat. So you have this young Jewish bride who had a sister wife. She, you know, they, they, the guys would have numerous wives, which is not a good deal. It's not a good idea. 
He had numerous mother-in-laws too, but that's just another story. I wasn't tying those two phrases together. I was just saying, okay, that uh, don't be judgmental. So it was, uh, he had these two wives and, and there's this competition that would naturally happen among these wives. And Peninnah what was having children. She was like a rabbit, man. She was popping out a kid every nine months to a year, you know, and, and uh, well, okay, I'm, I'm elaborating a little, pro- I'm going beyond the text. I'm just saying. And then Hannah, Hannah was wanting to have children and she wasn't able to conceive a child and it was breaking her heart. And, and as you can imagine, a young woman who's wanting to have children, she's fallen in love with Elkanah and she's wanting to produce children. She's wanting an expression of her and him. Uh, running around the earth. She wanted to have children uh, produced from her. And, and even more than that, even more than in our culture, it really her worth as a woman was expressed to a very large degree through having children. And so she was looked down upon as someone that was less than. And make matters worse, Peninnah wasn't very kind about it. She would mock her and provoke her. She would talk about her children and yeah, yeah, I noticed you didn't have any kids yet and, and it was just rivalry and it was very painful and it says that, that Peninnah would provoke Hannah until she wept and would not eat. But what, what Hannah was unaware of is that God was setting up a situation out of her barrenness, out of her struggle, out of her confusion and her pain God was building a platform for a much wider battle to take place. Because what was going on in the nation was of great significance. This was an hour in which Eli and his sons were the high... Eli was the high priest and he had his two boys working with them in the temple. And these boys were very, very corrupt. They were, they were sleeping with the, the, the maidens that served in the temple. He, they would, they would strong arm people bringing their sacrifice. They were to, they were to throw it in the pot and whatever comes to the surface was given to the priests and they would strong arm. They say, we're going to take it by force. Give it to us now. And people were horrified. They'd say, we, we've got to give this to the Lord. It was a corruption. They were misusing the funds, so to speak, and doing it blatantly. Sleeping around and all this corruption and the people that were supposed to be the gatekeepers for the nation of Israel had all had had become avenues through which the enemy could come into the into this nation and begin to ravage them spiritually. It was a terrible time in Israel's history. But yet God had already had this preemptive strike called Samuel. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing story. But what Hannah didn't realize is that her pain was building a platform for God's future purposes. That God was already heading this thing off at the pass. He already saw this this problem on a national scale. And so here was this young girl that had this pain of barrenness. And she didn't realize that out of this pain was going to come a child that would become the answer to a national problem. More than that... It was, you know, she was dealing with her personal immediate problem and she didn't realize, but she, her, the, the solution to her personal immediate problem that she was going to pray through on, that her intercession was going to break through into something to solve that problem, never realizing that God was fighting a battle on a much wider plane, a national platform. And he was her, the answer to her personal problem would be the answer to the national problem. More than that, it was going to be the answer to the eternal cosmic problem of sin. Because out of this, God was setting up the lineage of David and the messianic line. And it would be what came from her, her intercession. This little boy would be birthed in intercession before he was ever conceived in the bedroom. And so she prayed through and they broke into something. And this little boy was the one who would anoint King David and establish the tabernacle of David. This this, uh, overarching uh, uh, theme by which God ministers in the earth. We don't have time to get into that. But, and then would establish David on the throne to which God promised you will always have one that sits on the throne. And there is one who sits on the throne today, the son of David, Jesus Christ. And it came out of David's loins, but that first came out of Hannah's prayers. It's an amazing thing. 
And what we often don't realize is that we're going through a personal struggle. There's something going on in our life and and we're wrestling with that and we just, we're so locked in and we feel insignificant and and we, we feel like this is just some little personal problem. But what you don't realize is as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are connected to the greater body of Christ and the greater eternal purposes of God. And everything you do really does matter. Eli's sin affected more than just Eli. Because of Eli's sin, the children of Israel lost the ark of God. They lost the manifest presence of God. Because of Eli's sin, there were all these ramifications. But in the same way, because of Hannah's prayers, the nation was revisited with the presence of God through a prophet named Samuel. That he was, he was a, a hinge upon which literally history turned. It was, it was a shift in Israel's history when Samuel came on the scene. There's this beautiful little verse. Let, let's just read through here. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tofu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. Say that three times. Verse 2, he had two wives. The one was called Hannah and the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. That, that, those, that little rundown is so pregnant, setting up this situation. Year after year, this man went from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he gave portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to her sons and daughters. Now let me just pause there. Do you notice how it, it introduces this couple? And it, the first, at, at first glance, this book opens up with just an introduction with this one woman and her family structure and her personal struggle. Chapter 2 is going to introduce this whole battle on the wider national scene. And we've got to get further into Scripture till we realize that this was really a battle on the eternal stage of human history, the purposes of God. And this woman had no clue. All she knew is her heart was hurting and she was going to God and laying hold of the horns of the altar and saying, God, I need a breakthrough. And my point to you this morning is many of you, you, you've got struggles. We all have struggles. We all have things we're going through. But I'm telling you, there's more on the line than just this isolated situation that you are wrestling through. And your prayers matter on a much wider scale than you realize. That they matter to the rest of us. Your breakthrough is our breakthrough. Because we're family. We're connected. And you are part of God's eternal purposes. And so Hannah, unbeknownst to her, she is a woman struggling and hurting. And her her womb is barren. And she's crying out to God for a breakthrough. Never realizing that God was setting her up to be the avenue of breakthrough for an entire nation. And so your struggle is a battle on a much wider scale than you realize. And it just mentions that Hophni and Phinehas are the priests, the sons of Eli were the priests of the Lord. It mentions, A, because the original readers would have known about their sordid reputation, and it's going to introduce us to more about them in the next chapter. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. And that would break Hannah's heart because she would see him giving out portions. And then he would come to her and look at what he would do. But to Hannah he gave a double portion. Why? Because he loved her. And listen to what it says. And the Lord had closed her womb. And in the Hebrew, it says, the Lord closed her womb. And some of us, that doesn't mesh with our theology. We don't like to think that God would come and just close a young woman's womb. But he was doing something to frustrate a natural process, to build desire, fuel frustration in intercession, because what was going to come from her was going to be greater than just a child. It was going to be a world changer, a history maker. So there were battles that would be 
fought in the prayer room before the child was ever conceived. Some of you might remember, it was some time back, I don't know, sometime in the last five years. Okay? Christopher would probably remember the date and the time. But sometime in the last five years, I was my day off, I was laying in bed, slept in, and uh, my wonderful wife allowed me to do that. She, I'm up there, and she's downstairs cooking and stuff, and I'm just in bed. And I grabbed my phone, and I just started reading the Word. And I came to where it talked about John the Baptist, and how his mom and dad wanted children, and wanted children, and couldn't have children. And now they're, they're older now. They're, they're beyond the normal years of bearing children. It, it implies that she's past that time of life for a woman. She's gone through the hot flashes. She's on the other side now. And there's, you know, there's, there's no hope for that. And her husband, in drawing the straws, he's the one that goes into the holy place. And he presents the sacrifice to the Lord. And an angel shows up and speaks to him and said, Your prayers were heard. Most likely, there's one, two alternatives here. Either this was a man who was still praying for a child well beyond the years, and that's great faith. But more likely is that God was reaching back and saying, remember those prayers you prayed when you were a young man and thought you could pull it off on your own? And you didn't see it happen? And the the natural process by which children are produced was frustrated? And you prayed and you looked to me? Those prayers never hit the ground. I still remember them, and I'm going to give you a child, and you're to name him John, and he will be great among his peers. And they gave birth to John the baptizer. He was a great man. He was was a a hinge upon which history swung. He was a transition man. He was the introducer of Jesus. And I was asking the Lord, just laying there, I thought, God, if John is going to be so great and he announced his greatness... Why don't you just do that with all of us? Why don't you just announce that every one of our children are going to be world changers and every one of them are going to be on the level of a John the Baptist? I know, Mom, your kids are world changers too, and I believe that, okay? But there was something about John that was extraordinary. Extraordinary. And I was Lord, Lord, why don't you just do that with all kids? We could wrap this thing up in one generation, go to heaven, Hallelujah. And even as I'm asking it, I, I knew that it doesn't work that way. But I was asking, kind of, you know, why? And surprisingly, God began to speak to me. And He began to talk to me about how children of the barren womb are often greatly used in Scripture. And it's because God will thwart the natural process to build frustration. So that there, uh, uh, there is intercession invested in that child. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, there are things that are cleared out for those children. It's like the, plain, the, the playing field is cleared out through the intercession of the parents. What most children will face on their own is the, some of those battles are already fought in the prayer room by parents who have to pray that thing through. He's saying that, so that they, there's something invested in them. If parents will grab hold and cry out. There's something that is established. And I thought, that's a strange thought. That night, or that that afternoon, I headed off to Nebraska. I was speaking at a ministry school out there. And as I'm praying for people, this one young man comes up and I laid hands on him. I said, oh! I said, you're like John the Baptist. There was, there was, it's like, I, I, and I told him what the Lord spoke to me that morning. I said, man, he looked at me, he said, oh my God. He said, my mom and dad couldn't have kids. They prayed and prayed. And then finally they got pregnant with me. I said, well, God cleared something out for you, buddy. And it was God just wanting to confirm to me, this is a real principle. There are times where what other people do, and it comes easy, and it's even pleasurable to them, it doesn't work for you. And it's not... Because there's something wrong with you, it's because there's something very right about you. And it's God himself who has introduced frustration in the process. Because what he's wanting to do is that frustration actually becomes the fuel for your intercession. And God is going to, great is the child of the barren womb. Isaiah said, many are the children, but I would argue you could add to that, great is the child of the barren womb. 
Sometimes there's barrenness in our life. There's a lack of fruit. And what seems to come easy to other people doesn't come easy to us. And rather than get introspective and think there's something wrong with us, we need to go to the throne and lay hold of the altar and ask God for breakthrough. And it just could be that your personal struggle with barrenness is really God's answer on the wider plane of human history. That what God wants to bring from you is more than just the answer to your own personal desire. He's wanting to solve some bigger problems. And so he's invited you into a process, a painful process, but he's invited you into a process of partnering with him and birthing the answers in prayer. So it says, Elkanah had two wives. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Look at verse 6. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I believe even the provocation was ordained by God. Sometimes we need to be provoked. You see, Elkanah was trying to assuage her. He was trying to make her feel better in her barrenness. So he'd give her a double portion. He was trying to make her feel better. And he said to her, he said, don't don't I mean more to you than ten children? But there was something in Hannah that was saying, intimacy with my husband is not enough. The picture is this for you and I. That intimacy with Jesus is wonderful. I'm glad that I have an intimate relationship. But Father, I want to be fruitful in the earth. I want something of you to come through me on the earth. I want there to be a manifestation. I want my life to matter in human history. I'm glad, I'm grateful to have a personal relationship with you. But if we're not careful, we can settle for faulty consolations. And be comforted by the fact that we have intimacy with Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. When what he's wanting to do is there's a test there. He's trying to provoke you. Will you break into greater things? Do you want to be useful to him? Could it be that your present struggle is for a breakthrough much larger than you realize? That God wants to use you and what you're wrestling over. Could it be that the denial or the delay in what you've been crying out for is because it's going to be something greater? But you've got to cooperate and, like Hannah, be provoked to weeping and fasting. It says she wept and would not eat. And so then it goes on to say, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, so they went up to make sacrifices. Hannah was praying, and Eli, the backslidden priest, came in, and he said, woman, throw aside your drinking. He thought she was drunk. And she said, no, my Lord. She said, you don't understand. My heart is heavy. I'm praying. And he said, well, may the Lord give you what you ask for. And that's all it took was a, a, an encouragement from a backslidden preacher. And she broke into something and she went home. She said, I got a promise. Honey, come in the bedroom. And, they had, and so she conceived a child. And she, but here, here's the thing. Before she conceived, this is what happened. She had barrenness. And she was frustrated. She began to pray. There was this provocation from the enemy, from her rival, that awoke this thing up even more. And she was praying through. But Eli didn't come in until it says she made a vow. And this was the vow. Lord, if you give me a child, I don't have to raise it. I will give it back to you to be raised in the house of God. And it was then that Eli walked in. God was waiting for her to say, Lord, if you'll put something through me, it's hands off. You can have this thing. And when she made that vow, Eli walked in and gave her a word. And within no time at all, she was caring. She was great with child and she gave birth to a young Samuel. Now turn with me. Turn with me to chapter 2. 
She breaks out into praise. That's verses 1 through 10. Verse 11, then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but but the boy ministered before the Lord. She brought her son, after she had weaned him, she brought him and left him with Eli to be raised in the house of God. Now, mind you, in the house of a backslidden priest, who these his older sons are, I mean, they're just degenerate. The things that they were doing were outrageous and they were blatant about it. And this is where he's being raised. But God, he was God's preemptive strike. Eli's sons were so wicked, verse 12, it goes on to talk about them. And then look at verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. They were a stench in God's nostrils. But listen to the very next words, verse 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. It's just so poetic how it... It mentions this little boy. It it paints this picture of such dire straits spiritually in the nation. That the people of God had lost their spiritual leadership. I mean, if anybody should have been wringing their hands, it was the people who were listening to CNN about Eli and his boys. This was not good for their nation. But then it says, but there was a little boy ministering before the Lord, Samuel. In a linen ephod. What a, what a picture. What God is implying was that he already had a plan. I, just, I, I always picture just this cute little sawed off kid, you know. Little boy in a little priest. Almost like a costume. They didn't make him that small. But his mom, it said, would, would sew him a garment. And so he, he has this little, this little garment he's running around in. Running around the temple. He was birthed in prayer and raised in the house of God. Under backslidden leadership. But something was established in him before he was even conceived. And so God was going to reveal himself to him. And it says that he went and he, he lied down in the temple. Chapter 3. Look at what it says. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And then it gives, again, this poetic picture. In that day... The word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It's painting this picture. The word of the Lord was rare. That is a frightening thing. People had no direction. They didn't, it was like God. There was radio silence from heaven because of the backslidden state of the priesthood. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, and then it says, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, were lying down in his usual place. That is not just a statement of his physical condition. It is a poetic statement of his spiritual condition as well. He was a blind priest. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. The King James Version says, Ere the lamp of God had not gone out. There was, it, was, it was burning low. The priest was blind. The word of the Lord was rare. And then it says... But Sam, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called to Samuel. It's a beautiful picture. This is when it was still just a, a tent in Hebron. And, and Samuel, it sounds like, would lay in front of the ark. And he paints this terrible picture of just barrenness in the nation. But then there's this little boy lying before the presence. And now the Lord speaks and says, Samuel, Samuel. Literally, his his name means heard of the Lord. Samuel, Samuel. And he got up to run to Eli. And Eli said, no, I I didn't call you. Just go back to bed. He hears it again. He run in to Eli. Eli, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He runs in again. And it says that Eli realized that it was the Lord. And to show you the backslidden state, Eli just tells him what to say. What should have happened is Eli should have rolled his body out of bed on the floor on his knees and cried out, God, I'm the priest. And if you're going to speak to anybody in this hour, I want in on it, God. The word of the Lord is rare. Lord, I'm asking, break in. Revive my heart. But what he tells him is he says, listen, if you hear the voice again, just go and say, I'm here, Lord. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And that's what Samuel does. And the Lord reveals himself to this young boy. 
And that was the beginning of this prophetic ministry that was birthed in the midst of great barrenness and pain and provocation and deprivation. And and Hannah's heart, she was feeling this challenge to her identity and her self-worth. And it was all wrapped up in this painful situation. But she looked to God as the answer, never realizing that God was touching something so much bigger than just her personal problem. God was positioning Samuel, a prophet of God, to be the hinge upon which Israel's history would turn. And I'm here to tell you this morning, by the word of the Lord, many of you, your, your immediate personal struggle is connected to something so much bigger than you realize. God is positioning. I saw the picture this morning when I was praying for the family. I saw these gears turning. And I'm telling you, God is moving things in positions far beyond what you can understand. And you have a part to play. And your staying faithful in the midst of your pain really does matter. It clears the the ground on a much wider scale than you realize. That her struggle to have a child was literally answering the barrenness of a nation spiritually. She didn't understand it, but she was carrying a nation in her heart. And the barrenness in her own belly was represented, it was a prophetic thing of the barrenness in the nation. And praying through and staying the course and being faithful personally broke an entire nation into a season of great fruitfulness. That Samuel, when he would show up, it said that that, that everybody would fear. They'd say, oh man, Samuel's here. The word of the Lord has come. This man would speak and there would literally be signs in the heavens above. He was that level of prophet. But it was because his mama had her womb closed by the hand of God. That God thwarted natural processes to birth something so much greater than she even realized. She didn't know the barrenness that she was praying to overcome was not just personal barrenness. It was national barrenness. Recently I had an an experience where I was praying about a situation. I was very troubled about it. And very perplexed. And I prayed about this situation for a year and a half. I invested a lot of fasting and intercession. And there were others that jumped in with me on this matter. And I was perplexed. And the Lord gave me this verse. And there was Samuel, a boy. Samuel ministered before the Lord. A boy in a linen ephod. And I thought, what in the world does this have to do with anything in this situation? Seriously, there was no way I could connect what I was praying about with that verse. And as we prayed and prayed, it was like there was nothing happening. Nothing was being solved. And a matter of fact, the issue that I was praying about didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. It was worse than I thought. It was one of the most discouraging situations I've ever been through, frankly. And then I looked back at that word from months ago that somebody gave me in praying about this situation. But there was Samuel who ministered before the Lord, comma, a boy in a linen ephod. And what it was saying is God's answer to this bad spiritual situation was already in the shadows. The little infant expression was already on the scene and growing in the presence of God. That he was already acclimated to the presence and the purposes of God. He was already wearing a linen ephod as a little boy. It's such a cool picture. He was literally raised in the house of God. And I look back now and I realize God was trying to encourage me. I had no grid work for it all those months ago. And I'm no longer discouraged about that situation. Yes, I wish some things would have turned out differently. But what God told Samuel later on 
when he had anointed Saul, which was a transition man leading to David, because God had it in his heart to give Israel a king. He told Moses about when you have kings, but it wasn't time yet. And they rejected God as their king. And Samuel took a personal and God told Samuel, Sam, don't cry about it. They didn't reject you, they rejected me. And then Saul was a failure. And God had to rip the kingdom from him. And Samuel was so brokenhearted. Can you imagine, you're this guy who's, who's, who felt rejected by the people. Then out of the leading of the Lord, you anoint the next leader of the people. And he's an abject failure. He's backslidden. And God confronts Samuel and says, How long are you going to cry? Get up, fill your horn with oil, and go find the next one to anoint. And it put him in a very awkward position. Because he was going to publicly pour oil on the one who would replace the guy who God was stripping the kingdom from. And this guy was a psycho. He was already trying to kill the replacement. He was, he, he was a man that, he, he didn't, he wasn't, well he wasn't already. But he was, there were already patterns in his life that were troubling. You don't go into a monarchy and publicly say, I'm going to anoint the replacement because God has rejected you without endangering yourself. And he was invested. Saul was a spiritual son that he'd anointed. But the Lord told him, it's done. You had your time to grieve. Now it's time to weep no more. Fill your horn with oil and let's move on. And the purpose is because I already got the next thing in the, in the, the shadows. We're moving on in the purposes of God. And Samuel, if anybody would understand that, Samuel should because he was the one that it already happened to. He was the one that was in the pipeline. And I'm here to tell you this morning... That whatever the circumstances, God already has an answer in the pipeline. And it very well may be the answer that you're praying about and you think it's your personal immediate problem and you don't realize that it's some national or international or eternal problem that God wants to answer through your prayers. We need to understand our prayers, our struggles, our battles, our barrenness really does matter because we're connected. There is really no such thing in the kingdom of God. Once we are saved and we step into the kingdom, we become part of the body of Christ. For in, so in one sense, there's no such thing as a personal struggle. Your struggle is mine and mine is yours because your victory really does matter to me and vice versa. I, don't, I want to encourage you this morning. Some of you have been thwarted in some desires. There's things that you've wanted to see happen. And it seems like other people can enter into those things easily. But for you, it's like there's this frustration. And I'm telling you that God is often the author of our frustration. Let me say it again. God is often the author of our frustration. You can find it in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says we are subjected to frustration. Frustration is a mixture of hope and hunger. Frustration without hope is despair. Frustration without hunger is apathy. But frustration that has hope and hunger becomes the fuel of intercession that will break you into your greatest years and your greatest seasons and your greatest breakthroughs in general. And if you're frustrated this morning, you need to take that frustration to the throne like Hannah. Don't allow yourself to be consoled in your barrenness. Whatever area is in your heart, I want to encourage you, take that to the Lord because your battle is being fought on a much wider plane than you realize. Let's go ahead and stand. want us to pray this morning. Hallelujah. I don't have time to get into it this morning. I'm telling you, we're, we're in, a, there's a new season. And God's drawing a line in the sand. There's the, the past season. There's, there has been things that have been on hold in many of your lives. 
It's like the gears of change, the gears of progress in your life have been seized. But the Lord is going to use the delay to give you greater victory than before. It's like when Joshua took to the field and and he prayed, Oh Lord, let the sun stand still over Agilon. And it says, the sun stood still, so the Lord brought about a great victory. What seemed like a longer battle and and a frustrating delay to many of the soldiers was actually God giving them more time for greater victory. And God is wanting to give you greater victory, but we're entering into a season where there's some things that need to bust loose. Uh, real quick, if, you, if there are specific things that come to mind in your heart when I talk about things being delayed, I want you to come forward right now. I want you to stand across the front. We're not going to make this long. I'm just going to pray over you. But there's things that have been delayed in your life. There's a frustration. There's things, there's promises that have yet to break forth. I just want to pray over you, and as an act of faith, I want you just to come forward and stand. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to put your hands up before the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm asking for more. Lord, I thank you for what you showed me Thursday night in prayer. Lord, I thank you that there's been a dividing line between what was and what's now breaking in. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that there's a dividing line between what was and what's breaking in. And Lord, by faith, we welcome the future now. It's a new day. It's a new day. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a couple here this morning. And there's been a struggle in your marriage. And it's been brutal. I'm telling you, God wants to give you hope. There's, don't doubt the sincerity. Don't doubt the sincerity. God's going to redeem this thing. Don't doubt the sincerity of your spouse. God's going to redeem this thing. What was is over, and you're going to come into the new. It's going to take work, but I'm telling you, the wind of heaven is behind your sails. And God's going to push you into the future. Lord, I thank you. Now, Lord, I just pray for each one of these this morning. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I'm asking God for fresh breath from heaven. Lord, take the wedge out of the gears and let them begin to turn for you, Lord. The gears of progress going forward in Jesus' name. The gears of progress going forward. Hallelujah. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.